everyone. Welcome to The Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. On the podcast today, we'll be talking with special guest Melanie Tawil, the CEO and co-owner of RSPA reseller member SwipeTrack Solutions, which is headquartered in San Antonio with over 30 employees nationwide. Melanie has an extensive background in both technology and marketing, and she's an award winner as well. She was named to the San Antonio Business Journal 40 Under 40 list in 2018. She was also named a top 20 business influencer to watch by the Business Journal, a national publication, and she's currently a member of the RSPA Marketing Committee. Also, SwipeTrack received the San Antonio Business Journal Top 25 Places to Work two years in a row. Hey, Melanie, welcome to the podcast. Nice to talk to you again. Hi, thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Uh, glad, glad, glad to connect with you again. So uh, for our listeners, our podcast is usually topic-oriented. We're talking about next-gen technologies, sales best practices, or company culture. But I think Melanie's story is both interesting and instructive, so that's where we're going to focus today. So, Melanie, you know, a lot of folks, uh, a lot of resellers in the retail IT channel, it's passed down from family to family, you know, generational. There's more of a traditional path, but you really took a non-traditional path uh, to get to where you are today. You told me the first time that we talked that your IT roots go back to when you were a 16-year-old, and you described yourself as a tenacious nerd. So can you share with us what you were doing at age 16 and how that started you down the tech and marketing path? So we, um, when I was 16, I thought it was a great idea to build websites because that's just what you do when you are um, a little nerdy when you're in high school. And so I built websites for political campaigns because that was my, my niche. That was what I really enjoyed to do. Um, and so I built websites for numerous campaigns across Bear County. I got known as just being a low cost because I didn't realize what, um, what I should be scaling at. And so, but I, I, I pumped out some really good stuff back then. And that's around the time that Angel Fire was really big. And so I, I pulled away from the Angel Fire themes um, and made some really great custom websites. And then I just kept going, kept going. I went to college, not for anything technology related, but I still kept on to that root, roots in that because it's what I, I love to do. Got it. Interesting. I'm curious, like when you're 16, how do you sell your services? Like how did folks find out about you? Did it start just as a volunteer and then it blossomed from there? A little bit of both. So I did start off as a volunteer, um, but I had been volunteering for campaigns for a number of years since I was basically in diapers. Um, my grandfather is a lifelong political volunteer. And so I just, I grew up with that. And, and when you do that and we lived with him, I just, it was always ingrained in me to always give back. And so I always felt a little icky in a way to, um, to charge for my services. But then I re recognized that it was taking away from homework time and sports time. So I probably should be, um, marketing myself a little bit more as something that wanted, I wanted to make some money doing. And I, um, I was working at McDonald's at the time. And so just wanted to get a little bit more income in while I was preparing to go to college. Got it. Great. And one of your highlights before you got into the IT channel was working for then Senator Barack Obama's 2008 mm -hmm. presidential campaign. And uh, the Obama campaign was considered groundbreaking as far as digital 
marketing. So it's, it's a model not just for campaigns, but also for business of all sizes. Like it doesn't matter what side of the political, political spectrum you land on. That was the campaign that really started getting the small donors, started to getting the word out, attracting uh, young folks to, you know, essentially what was a, a business to a campaign. Can you talk about your role in that campaign and then what you learned from that experience? Yeah, sure. So I was a Jill of all trades on the campaign. You kind of have to be when you are a volunteer at first and then you move into your roles. But I had already been working for then Senator Barack Obama in his communications office and I just popped over. And I knew that what I really wanted to do was do more of the software development side because we were the very first campaign of its kind to incorporate geofencing when it came to our website and we incorporated this really fantastic social aspect into our website having my.barackobama.com and so we allowed people to really engage online not and just be able to to find other people in your community that you didn't ordinarily communicate with and so community organizing can either be boots on the ground or it can be from your keyboard because we recognize that not everybody had the ability to actually get out there and not everybody had the physical capabilities to stuff envelopes or make phone calls or knock on doors, but you wanted to do something, you wanted to do something impactful. So maybe you wanted to be a blogger, maybe that was your thing. And so we allowed people to have that outlet online through my.barackobama.com. And also um, we allowed campaigns from, from then on to have the geofencing technology to organize events rather rather than just tell your neighbors that you are having this thing, you could then go widespread and put it all online that, hey, we're having this event at my house or at the park. Um, we're gonna be phone banking, come on, bring your friends. It was a, a much easier way to communicate with people that way. And from our end of the campaign, we we gave them all the tools that they needed. We gave them um, the ability to do phone banking online. And that was another thing that was just revolutionary. Everybody is so used to the call sheet that gets printed off and then you manually have to go in and circle and you have to make sure that all the data is correct. This eliminated the data, um, the data, uh, the data synchronicity is what we like to call it. So it, it was all there. It was real time, real time numbers, because at the end of the day, that's any, that's what, political campaigns want, and that's what retailers want, that's what every industry wants, is they wanna know real-time numbers at that moment. What is, what am I making? What is my revenue? And so that always stuck with me when we were looking at our business model when we started SwipeTrack. Got it, and so if I can pause right there. So you mentioned mm -hmm. geofencing. And so yeah. I'd love to be able to say, to enlighten our audience, but I have to say to enlighten our audience and me, uh, what is geofencing and is there a business application for it or is it just campaigns? No, I think there absolutely is a, a business application because when you now look at advertising and you want to see, um, you want to see the purchase, the purchase. Um, I think the best way to say it is the purchase capabilities of people in a certain zip code of a certain age. So you could actually pinpoint that in geofencing. You could say, I just want to talk to people in, say, zip code 78207 that are between the ages of 45 and 50, and I only want to target males. So, and I only want to invite those people to my events. And you could, or you could even think like, hmm, they're probably, they might be Vietnam veterans, so I want to target only people between the ages of 70 and 85 for a veterans event that I'm going to have. 
And so you would do that and you could take that now into advertising world when we see social media advertising and you want to put your bang for your buck whenever you're looking at Facebook advertisements, Instagram advertisements, um, Twitter advertisements, when you want to look for your own business. Like I always say, you never want to advertise to the CEO of the company. You want to advertise to the end user. Then they're going to go off and go tell your manager. And then they're going to, that manager will then go off and go tell their leadership, like, hey, we really should be looking at this software, this hardware. I really think it could, if we implemented it, we could get a really great turnaround. Got it. Thank you for that. And so we talked in the episode number two here on the Trusted Advisor with Jeremy Julian at CBS North Star and uh, James Cordy of Blue Star about focusing on your target audience. It sounds like geofencing takes that to almost a microscopic uh, where you are really being specific uh, with who you're trying to target. Is that correct? Absolutely. Got it. Great. Now, moving on with your path, once the campaign was done, you know, uh, Obama was successfully uh, elected, you turned a job, you turned down a job in the White House. Is that correct? I did in their communications office, which I still stand by. Um, I came home to Texas. I'm born and raised San Antonian, came home. I had fallen in love on the campaign and we decided to start a, a technology company because he and I both met in the technology department of the Obama campaign. So um, we started a hosting company together. Okay. Uh, so it spins uh, into that. So I guess uh, talk about that. And then also, I know in 2011, you and I had connected before and you told me like that was a year where you had a lifetime adventure all packed into six months. And this is you know, while you're forming the business and how SwipeTrack got started. Can you talk about all those things that happened in 2011 for you? Yeah, sure. So right before we got married, so we ended up getting married. Right before we got married, we sold that hosting company um, for a good chunk of change. And we thought, hmm, well, what are we going to do now? And so we got married. We were waiting a while. His family owned bingo halls. B-I-N-G-O, the old school style. And we really wanted to make sure um, that we had some skin in the game. And so what we did was we recognized that there was little to no um, technology involved in bingo or nobody really wanted to be inventive and create something new. So we decided to do that. That we needed to a way to have inventory management scanning along with um, a hardware, a piece of hardware, and there was no software that talked to hardware, and there was no hardware that talked to software. So it was around this time that my husband was diagnosed with testicular cancer, and we decided, well, if it's not out there, let's just develop the software for it. And so we purchased the hardware from Infinite Peripherals, and they said, well, the minimum is 100. And we said, okay, well, we only need three. So we're just going to put the rest of them on a splash page and we'll sell the software, the iOS software with the hardware. Not really thinking much of it. We just were going to sell it together, one lump sum, $50 for the, uh, for the software and then the hardware itself. We're going to go from there. And it sold out within about 48 hours. And so we thought, okay, well, that was lightning that struck once. Let's see if we can replicate it and do it again. Um, it was around this time also that we, so that was, he was diagnosed in May, started the business June 8th, 2011, found out we were pregnant in July of 2011. And um, we thought, well, why don't we just, you know, keep going with this business? What else have we got to lose in your first year of marriage? And 
So we just kept going and kept going. And soon companies started asking us if we would white label a solution for them. And we said, okay, we kind of lied a little. Uh, and we did say that we were a company bigger than just a husband wife team. Um, but one thing that we could assure people is that we would always, always give them quality service. And I think that's something that's really just stuck with us from, from 2011 to today. Yeah, and your website actually says, from our humble beginnings in a spare bedroom. Like, that's really what it seems like is you didn't have some grand plan. Like, people say, I have this idea. I'm going to go pitch it to all sorts of people. How am I going to get bankrolled? It's almost like you just saw the opportunity and just said, well, let's fill this need. And and things just uh, kind of bloomed from there. Is that, I guess, an accurate description? Like, it's nothing fancier than that. It's putting one foot in front of the other and just recognizing where you could solve a problem. That's exactly it. We call ourselves accidental entrepreneurs. Uh, we were, I mean, we, we had our spare bedroom. Um, our daughter's nursery was our office. And I'll never forget, we had hardware all over the house. Like it was not your normal house. We had um, these giant shelving units in our dining room. We didn't have a dining room table anymore. It was now then a kidding, uh, a kidding process system. And I was still a teacher at the time. And so I would come home from, from work or during my, my uh, conference period, I would be answering emails and come home and I would be kidding and we'd be shipping and we'd be doing all this and also you know, layering on top of our software development. And so it just, I always laugh because now I'm sitting in this office here and it just, it really did all start from an 1800 square foot house. Um, and it did start in a 300 square foot bedroom. And I just, I, I do pinch myself a lot that like, this is, this is it. And we did not go out. We did not request any money from any kind of angels, investors, or um, we didn't try to, you know, hit up any VCs. Like it was, it was just all us. Um, and it was a lot, I did something that you're not supposed to do. Like I took out my retirement as a teacher and I put all my eggs in this basket. And I'm really thankful that it worked out because it would be, <laughs> It'd be a very different outcome. <laughs> yeah, you swung for the fences. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, kind of bet it all on black and, and spun the wheel. Yeah, and you know, I do. Th I don't think we would be as successful if we did go through the angel investor or the VC route because we were a little scrappy. You know, we we learned how to stretch that dollar, and when we did make our first two hires, we we recognized that they're going to be part of our family because this was us. Like this was Fred and myself and we were going to be spending a lot of our time with these people more time than we would be with our daughter. Yeah. You did uh, bootstrapping and diaper changing uh, at, yes. the, at the same time. It also reminds me now I don't quote, I think it's Roberto Benini, the actor. And when he won his Tony award is what I think it was again, that's kind of outside of my lane, but the quote itself is uh, my parents gave me the greatest gift, poverty. And he said, like, man, I had to figure out how to make things uh, happen. And so that is a real thing of if something is gifted to you or you have a long, you know, you have all sorts of resources, you don't have to be as ingenious as somebody who is doing kidding on their dining room table. Absolutely. And I, I still can feel the finger, the finger burns of like having to pop stuff in. Very cool. Uh, so now you're obviously uh, bigger than that, and your value proposition has continued to expand. And so I've been coaching VARs and ISVs for years to really stand out 
from the crowd, don't be a commodity, don't offer the same products and the same services as everyone else. Can you share what are SwipeTrack's differentiators first from a product and services standpoint and then also from a company culture standpoint as well? Yeah, sure. So one of the biggest things that we recognized when we came into this industry is nobody was kidding. So nobody was actually hand, like literally hand delivering or UPS delivering, FedEx delivering the, the, the hardware ready to use right outside of the box. And so that's something that we said, you know what, we're going to do it. And so we went out there personally, like myself and Fred went out there and made the connections in the community into the, um, the Apple store. And we, we asked them, how can we partner with y'all? Because at first we were just an iOS company. So we asked like, how can we get your phones and your iPads and your iPod touches? How can we get them at a discount price? And they said, no. And we said, okay, fine, we'll figure it out. And so we went onto all those auction sites. We went onto, you know, the, the GameStop has a great one. Like we went on all of those and we were just scrappy. We were just going for them. And then finally Apple did start recognizing that we were a legitimate business. Um, and so we, we partnered with them. We've recognized that companies really did need, um, they, they really needed a way to make sure that their hardware wasn't going to get stolen or they needed a way to make sure that everything just stays on one nice page on their iOS device. And so we've been always adding on these services and these, these products that we try to see it before it actually happens. So that way we can say, sure, we can do that. Um, and we don't want to just stay in one world. Like you have to be able to be nimble. And so because of that, we're also in the tourism industry. We're in the, um, we're in the parking industry and you have to recognize that you, you have to do that. You have to be a chameleon at all times. And it's not going to be the, the sexy industries that you thought that you were going to be in. And that's okay. Like if you want to be profitable, you have to be able to, to move around a little bit. Um, and I think that's one thing that may hurt a lot of people when they don't see that. You have to be very self-aware of who you are. And bingo isn't exactly, you know, the <laughs> something that you want to go out there and talk about. But for me, it is. Like I look at and see the goodness of what our technology does in the bingo industry. And it means that in the state of Texas, it's charitable. So it actually means that more charities are able to get a lot more money in the long run. And so you have to be able to see the full wheel. Um, and then our company culture standpoint, we've always remained true. It still is very much a family. Um, I'm, I'm very picky on who I bring in. And I think that's a lesson, that is the hardest lesson as a business owner or anybody in any kind of HR role is employees make or break your, your system. And unfortunately, we have had to let a few employees go because they weren't the right fit and that's okay. They weren't the right fit for us. They're gonna be the one else. And it's like a relationship, like any kind of romantic relationship all right, so we just had a brief pause there. If you notice, Melanie's background has changed uh, a little bit. Her uh, desktop wasn't working as well, and so now she's uh, doing this through her phone. So uh, we'll bless that technology. And so, Melanie, before we talk about 
uh, company culture, if you don't mind. Uh, first, you mentioned about bingo halls not being sexy. So I'm in Western Pennsylvania, and there's nothing sexier than a bingo hall up here uh, in terms of, of how we roll. But uh, a, a mentor of mine, somebody I work for, told me, you can feed your ego or you can feed your family. And so that's really what it sounds like you're talking about in terms of don't have some predetermined plan of how things are going to go. Listen to the needs of the market and just fill those needs, and that's going to lead to profits. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to get – you're going to get persuaded or you're going to try to get persuaded or you're, you might get distracted in like on your journey, but you have to stay true to who you are as a person. And it's okay to like venture a little bit out, but don't get so distracted that you forget about what's really feeding you back here. And so, um, and if it's no longer feeding you, that's okay. You can move on. Um, and that's where being nimble really, really helps. Like, um, you know, we've made business mistakes. I've had to quit projects numerous times and that's something that i think weeds out the really great business owners from you know the, the the people that go the one to five years versus the people that are now about to celebrate 10 years you know and it's it's just little things like that that i'm really lucky that my my business partner is also my partner in life that he and i can we are very different i'm a i'm a front-end developer he's a back-end developer and it's really nice that he and I can just at least go uh, discuss things in a very professional and personal manner. Um, but if you don't have a co-founder, that's okay. Just find a mentor. Like you said, you had a mentor. Find someone that you can talk to and you can hash all these things out with. Got it. And I guess, uh, you know, this boss also said, you know, where he said sometimes you have to move on. He also told me there's no room in business for nostalgia. That was another thing. Yes. So if the market isn't there, don't be like, but we've always done it this way. You've got to uh, adjust with the market. So uh, before we made a technology switch here, you were talking about your company culture. Can mm -hmm. you dive into that a little bit more and just talk about, you know, culture seems to be this big ethereal, you know, can't really picture. What are some of the specifics that make your culture what it is? You talked about picking the right people and have them on their team. What kind of person do you look for? What kind of things make up the swipe track culture? We want to make sure that somebody knows that even though they're a software developer or they're a hardware developer or they're doing networking, um, that they may get pulled in to help us kit. And if they're going to have a bad attitude about that, they're not. Pro they're probably not the right person for us. And we need somebody that's also very. When you work for a small business, you need to make sure that um, whoever's work, whoever you're bringing in really really loves projects i mean their ego has to be a little bit big to want to put their name on a project and rather than just doing some patchwork stuff um, and so that's honestly what we we look at and then from our sales perspective we obviously want people that want to be around other people like you can't be a salesperson if you don't like people i'm sorry you just can't like that's why i handled a lot of the sales before before fred did and so um you know i would i'm always the what does he call me? He always calls me the, the one, the hook. I'm always the hook because I really enjoy hearing other people's stories and I really enjoy um, hearing other companies, even our competitors. I love hearing their stories and hearing what they're doing because I get fired up over that stuff. I mean, I just, I can't get enough of it. Um, and, but at the same time, I'm also very, very focused on where we're going. And so, uh, but for our employees though, we have one thing that really differentiates us is Every quarter, we do a an employee outing um, where we pay for it as the business owners, and we do like a we have topped off here in San Antonio, so it's like a driving range, um, like a disco driving range, and yes. 
we um we take we have our our annual tournament where some of our employees take it very seriously and bring their own clubs with them or they'll make team shirts so we'll um and we we award a trophy and a trophy for our employee but then if our employee is not the top scorer but they're plus one is a top scorer we always have some kind of technology focused gift so like either we we did like a 70 inch tv once wow. um yeah we've uh done let's see um we've done i think we've done a, a few iphones and some ipad pros great and i have a couple points i want to follow up on so one yeah. is a lot of folks listening to this are small resellers and that's where you were at one point a small reseller and they say i can't afford to do these culture things at what point did you start saying that's a good investment of our money you know i'm guessing it was once you moved the business out of the spare bedroom but can you talk about that that decision making process of when do you start saying hey this is something worth investing in our people and in this culture it was immediately um i've had enough bosses in the past that i didn't feel appreciated and I wanted to make sure that my employees felt appreciated from day one. Um, I didn't, I, I think this, this dream of being an entrepreneur sometimes can, um, can get in people's heads that they think it's quick money when I preferred to, and I, this is how I run things. We prefer to, to hire people. We prefer to invest in our, our employees and our business versus paying ourselves so we did that ramen life even though i'm allergic to gluten and i dealt with the, the you know the, the body aches um but we knew that what we were doing was was the right path and our employees have stuck around and we've been profitable because they've been so happy a happy employee is going to be somebody that wants to spend time with you um and if a fire happens at a project they're not going to be the ones that complain because they're working on like a uh, software glitch at 11 o'clock at night. And as long as you always remind, like, remind them or tell them, thank you. A thank you can go so far. So if you can't, if you can't afford these big outings like Top Golf, because we couldn't at first, what we did is we bought them lunch. Once a month, we bought them lunch um, as a thank you. And, or we just, I hand wrote cards every Thursday. Like, it was thankful Thursday and I would leave them on their desk and I would put them, thank you for, and it would some, be something non-job related. So like, thank you for, um, uh, thank you for humming that song the other day. It really put a smile on my face. You know, little things like that. People, I think people forget that this is not a transactional relationship anymore. You have to make sure that you, you stay engaged. And so we go to each other's weddings, we go to each other's baby showers, um, just make sure that you, you never get, my biggest fear is that we got so big that I would forget that they are people. Yes. And they start become numbers and groups yes. and just employee IDs rather than that. Yes. I like that concept. You said thankful Thursday. So is mm -hmm. that something that you just do or does everybody do it? Uh, what is that? So now we've actually done now a company wide thing. So everybody will find one person that they want to go think. And so I always I'm very cautious and I want to see who is thanked and who isn't because I feel like sometimes the popular people in the group will get thanked. So we always want to make sure that technology and um, so our technology and our sales team are, are different, like they're separated, but we want to make sure that they always remain together because you can't have 
one be strong and the other be weak. You have to have both of them recognize that they need each other. So we always try to team somebody up with the other person and like, or I'll nudge them like, Hey, you really should go think so-and-so, you know, they, they really did a great job at, I don't know they baked cookies. Like we have a, we have a lot of bakers in the office. So just stuff like that. Got it. Very interesting. And it seems like you'd have to make sure that that stays sincere. Like people aren't yes. just checking it off the list. Hey, thanks for coming into work today and yeah. going back. But like, that's kind of at the root of all this. It all has to be sincere or else it just comes off as a trick for a ploy. Yeah. And I, I think that's where like we've been really good at weeding out employees that, that really, like I said, want to be here. Um, we have volunteer events every quarter. And so we can see the sincerity and the heart in people when, the, when we have these events. Got it. Great. And this is a perfect segue because we're going to take a, a commercial break right here to thank our sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star, Heartland, ScanSource, and Shift4 Payments. And our gold sponsors are Epson and Tesis. We also want to let our listeners and viewers know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. The RSP recently expanded its VAR and ISB member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. Also, RSP members now have access to a legal advisor, security advisor, sales coach, and VAR and ISV business advisor. That's all included in your annual RSP membership, which for resellers starts at just $250 a year, 68 cents a day for these high-value services. I actually just had a conversation with a prospective member yesterday, and we were laying out a few of the things, and they're like, well, you can stop there. You've gone way beyond $250. Like, let's, let's go and make this happen. Uh, without an RSP membership, you'll either spend thousands of dollars paying an outside consultant who doesn't know the channel, or you're in, you will end up going it alone during these turbulent times in our industry. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or RSP sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. And also, finally, don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2020, August 2nd through 5th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Retail now is where the industry meets. And Melanie, that's where you and I met. Like, I didn't know you from anybody. And you asked this wonderful question uh, related to, I think, with social media uh, in Chris Rump's and uh, Jeff Riley's presentation. And I remember that's where we, we first connected. So, yeah, we met at Retail Now here in San Antonio. Um, it was a very muggy and hot day. And um, it was over my favorite topic, which is marketing and and social media and i i'm one of those older millennials that honestly can't get enough of being obsessed with all forms of social media so i've even just downloaded tiktok to figure that one out and see how we can incorporate tiktok into out of all things here with our our hardware scanners and our software Got it. Great. An older millennial. I like, I like how you phrase that. Uh, can you say, so th that's a great segue into talking about marketing. That's where I wanted to uh, focus for the next couple of questions here. Can you share with our listeners how you used SEO, so search engine optimization, mm -hmm. to help swipe track, grow its sales? And I guess, how do you use it today uh, to continue to grow your business? So we first used it with our blog, which uh, we have not updated in a while because we went through a transition of hiring. Um, but we honestly, you have to remember that you are a value added resource. And so you can't just be selling all the time. Um, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of other companies that do what we do. And that's okay. Like we, we love that. Um, it keeps us on our toes. And so 
what we want to do um, is we want we always remind ourselves that we are not everybody's cup of tea. And so and that's OK. Like if you're not going to use us, please go use somebody else. Like we just want to make sure that your business gets somewhere in like somewhere better than where you're at right now. And so we, we what we really recognize is that we really just try to give customers what is going to be the best impact for their company at their budget and so we used seo with um a lot of twitter at first so like just retweeting um other other companies even our competitors we would retweet like what they would do because at the end of the day there's enough out there there's enough business out there for everyone and so when you use twitter when you use all these other social media um items you can you increase your your seo because if you have that bug on your website it automatically just keeps getting pinged by google and man google runs our world right now doesn't it so we just make sure that we are always staying relevant always putting out content um we we really just try to make sure that we have months in advance of content that's ready to go and that's i think the biggest thing is that you can get caught in the weeds there's always something to do there's always something else to make your business go somewhere. But if you don't have that social media, if you don't have that content calendar, if you're not a social media person, fine, go get somebody that's a social media person. Go find somebody on Fiverr that's gonna go make your stuff, that that will make maybe your blog post. Just tell them what you want and they'll go out there and they'll go write it for you. But you need to do that. Like you need to keep working on your marketing because if you don't, that sales funnel is gonna really, really, really dry up. And so do you, do you buy Google AdWords? Do you pay for it? Or is it all natural relevance with the content and the social media that you're doing? We used to. Uh, I'll be honest. We used to. We used to buy a lot of Google AdWords, and then we stopped um, because we recognized that it just wasn't working for us. And that's okay. Like, again, everything in business, you're going to have to – it's not for the faint of heart. Like, you can't take anything personally. And so you got to just try. got to keep trying. Like, I, I can't tell you how many – different kinds of even Facebook, Instagram, Twitter ads we have out there. You have to always have six six different kinds of ads for one thing. So if you think about that, that's we're talking about five to six different social media platforms. That's 30 different ads and that's every day. And so you always have to make sure that you keep your marketing team happy. If you're a person of one, if you're a company of one, you have to Honestly, you, you like social life is out the window. I'm sorry, but it is. <laughs> and like you'll have your your friends will understand, and those that don't, they they're not for your future. Like that's okay. I, I think that's the that's the biggest lesson that we learned is that I'm a very social person. My husband is not, and so when I noticed my friendships started to dwindle, I was like, you know what? That's okay because this I really, really, really really feel that this is the best use of my time um they're like what do millennials say the younger millennials will say like you know fear of missing out fomo i had no fear of missing out because i knew what i was really working for was to build this and i would love to build it bigger of course but i still will remember everybody's name and everybody's birthday and everybody's favorite candy all right so, but you're saying the message to our audience members out there who may be a one or two person shop, lonely Friday nights, you're going to be head down working. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's a time where you have to, there's a perseverance stage to all great endeavors. And that's what you're talking about. Early on, 
you've just got to be full-time persevering. Absolutely. And you have to be able to um, prioritize your sleep. Like I will never ever tell people like, no, you're going to get four hours of sleep. You won't hear that from me uh, because you can't stay sharp unless you, you're well rested, but you need a prior, like marketing, marketing is the only thing that's going to be able to really impact your business. You can have the best software out there. You can be have the best hardware out there, but if you're not focusing on the marketing of it, you're not going to go anywhere. I mean, even if you have like one or two clients, Clients are, clients are feeble. They're going to go somewhere else because somebody else was focusing on that marketing piece. So you're saying for any size uh, reseller or software developer, they've got to do marketing. For those smaller yes. folks, they should probably do some outsourcing or they might have to just roll up their sleeves and do it. Can you talk about the outcomes that you get from it? Because that seems to be the thing of people say, I'm going to spend time and I'm going to spend money and I'm going to get what and like you said they're staring at the phone like i placed this ad i did this social post i'm looking at the phone how come people aren't calling me what do you actually get out of all this marketing uh, investment that you've made you have to be self-aware and if marketing is not your strong suit marketing's not your strong suit that's okay you know it's not going to be the strong suit for everybody so that's why you i mean for me it's my strong suit because it's what i love i'm obsessed with seeing why people click on certain ads because of different word placements like you have, if you're not obsessed with it, then you really need to outsource. And there are, I mean, even find an intern, like people want, but I think the, the one thing that really annoyed me when I was still in the workforce was, well, you need experience. Well, an intern will want that experience because they're going to need to put that on their resume. So if you have a college or even a high school, these kids are so smart. I really, really, really believe that you need to hire someone that's smarter than you that really enjoys this and they're going to take your your business beyond what you even could believe i mean i that's that's the next thing that i look for in our hires i want to make sure that they're smarter especially in marketing um i want to know that they know how to make videos because that's not my strong suit and so um recognize that when instead of spending that two to three hours you know painlessly trying to figure out what kind of witty comment you're going to put, you could be working on something that you are super strong on. And maybe that is development or maybe that is going out and connecting with people. So allow, like, see, figure out how much your time is worth and then see what are these kids charging? And I promise you, I promise you that what they're charging is always going to be lower than what your value is as a person and going out there and doing other things that you're really strong at. And it'll drum up business for you. Like people will email you or when you outreach to them, they'll be more familiar with you. Is that kind of the impact that you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Got it. Great. Well, thank you. I also want to talk about technology. The, the swipe track website says our philosophy, it's not where technology is, but where it will be. So we're recording this conversation in late 2019. So Melanie, where do you see retail IT technology heading from your perspective? Oh man, I don't want to say this because I don't want to upset my de the desktop retailers, but at the end of the day, I honestly believe that handheld devices and online stores are going to, are the future. 
I strongly believe that warehousing, warehousing is where it's at and it's not sexy. That's like not the fun one. But when it comes to the matter, like you have to think about this from a macro perspective versus a micro and that you're seeing all these big, big box retailers going down. And it is really sad because you have the nostalgia of like Toys R Us, Bed Bath & Beyond, all these really fantastic companies that were not nimble in their um, in their practices. And so all these warehousing is going to go up, number one. So recognize that you're going to see a lot more warehouses going up because people are going to want, it's cheaper to get a warehouse in an industrial space than it is to get a retail space in a high density area. So I also focus a lot on retail, um, surprisingly, but I do. Um, and I, I look and see like what stores are going up where, um, and online businesses are skyrocketing. And so if you can help an online retailer get their stuff out faster, that honestly will, that that for them, like you're gonna be a big value added resource for them. And so go there knowing and approach people knowing that that you're gonna be you're gonna be getting them to 2020, 2021, because let's face it, people are really nervous with the economy. They really are. Um, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. People are just nervous because the economy is a cyclical thing. It doesn't matter who's there. But for me, it definitely is. Everything is going to be on a handheld device. I mean, look at you and I are having this conversation on a handheld device because this crept out on me. And so, you know, it's just, it's little things like that. that and people are always on their phones, always. And not only that, but a handheld device, I also look at the psychology behind mobile point of sale systems. Like that is honestly the way of the future is mobile point of sale systems. And that it takes away that anxiety uh, of the barrier that a regular point of sale system has. Somebody's able to actually have a communicate, like it's actually be able to communicate with the, with the customer. And so asking about like, how are you doing? How's the family? If they notice that you have a child with you, you know, instead of having to wait in line, like nothing annoys me more as a mom than having to wait in line with two children who just want to get out or they want to get into, say they want to get into the museum, but the museum has like a two hour wait all because of the desktop. Whereas you could have like 10 or 13 people out there with their handheld devices and just keep getting chugging people along because at the end of the day, customers, the happier the customer is, the, the more frequent they're going to be in your store. Got it. You know, as you're saying it, now I'm starting to think this might have just been an incredible marketing ploy on your part that for the first part with your laptop, you had it not work out. And it's like, hey, it's all about handhelds. And look how we're doing this on a handheld. <laughs> it's either a great coincidence or it's the most admirable marketing ploy I've ever seen in my, in my life. We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> so handhelds, online stores, like that's really, you know, mobile POS, online stores. Mm -hmm. Folks currently need to focus on those things from a technology standpoint. Great, thank you. Uh, my last question for you, Melanie, is uh, we always ask our guests to point us towards, you know, a, a helpful resource that they found, whether it's a book, a podcast, or a website that helped them personally, like as a leader, as a manager, uh, or professionally. So what would you uh, recommend to our audience? Uh, I think the number one book for me, I'm a big reader, so you could also get it on um, Audible, would be Essentialism by Greg McCown. Um, you, Say that as again. This, essential, essential wisdom. Essentialism. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's in my my 
bag right now because I've read it probably, I want to say five times. It's a great book. Um, not only as a person, like figuring out what your values are and what you should be focusing on, um, but you're going to be thrown a lot of things that you want to say yes to. But if it's not essential to your values, who you are as a person or who what your company is as a culture, then it doesn't need to be there. Like it's okay to say no. And I think that's something that people forget is that we've gotten so caught up in saying yes to everything that we've like um we've we've put so many pots on our burners that something is boiling over. And that that goes especially with business, that we say that we can do, you know, all of these things. Sorry, it's Halloween for those of y'all that are watching this. It's Halloween. <laughs> um, and, uh, just, and so those who aren't watching, Melanie's wearing a Wonder Woman shirt. I just noticed that when you lean back. So, yes. all right, good. I'll make it. We, <laughs> we have a company uh, costume party later on today. <laughs> and, thank, and thank God for my handheld device because Amazon Prime now delivered this last night. So, um, but essentialism, it really does like you, you recognize what you need in your, in your business and that not to worry about the other things that aren't going to bring value to you. And at the end of the day, that's really what all, all people want is they want to feel safe and secure in what they're doing. Got it. Great. Okay. So essential wisdom, that's a, a wonderful. No, essentialism, E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A. Oh, essentialism. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I'm glad I clarified that uh, for sure, because I, I definitely will go look that. Any other resources that have been helpful for you, uh, Melanie? Obviously, uh, obviously the RSPA. I'm always going to plug that one. And the RSPA Twitter. They are very active on the Twitter and on the LinkedIn. Um, and don't be afraid to go on LinkedIn and go cold message people. Don't be a creep be person though, like actually say like, Hey, I really like what you're doing. So, um, but go and, and network with other people on LinkedIn, including your competitors, because to be honest, you may end up working for them one day and that's okay. Or somebody from them may come work for you. And that's great. Like we are all, I I'm just, I'm such an optimistic person that I'm like, man, there's enough out there for everybody. Yeah, and so let me just uh, build on that point that you just said about the social standpoint. So, you know, for those of folks who are listening, get active. You know, even it's free to get an account on mm -hmm. Twitter, put your name, your face, and all that. LinkedIn, a lot of folks miss out on that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I have to be honest with you. So you have been active liking and sharing certain things. <laughs> How could that not build affinity with me, right? Like when I'm considering who to have as a guest on the podcast, Obviously, there are things, you know, we read your resume early on, and you have a very impressive resume, but those things help keep you top of mind, and individuals can do that, VARs can do that, ISVs can do that from a business standpoint as well, and all it takes is clicking a like button or sharing something that you genuinely find valuable, and that builds up uh, affinity. I went to a VARTEC conference a few years back, and the speaker talked about his whole presentation was nice bike. Like, you see somebody on a motorcycle, you say to them, nice bike like they're going to light up and they're going to instantly mm -hmm. like you and so that's such an opportunity out there for businesses to build up affinity and to get on the radar of some of their customers or potential customers or their community and they they miss out on it but you executed on that well i mean that's part of why we are here today is because of the whole social media connection i mean let's be honest yeah absolutely i mean people want to harp on social media and they want to say bad things about it but to be honest I mean, it's able, you and I are a whole country apart 
and yet we're still friends and we're able to do this. And I think that's something that people need to, to be, to warm up to, and that's okay. Like it's, it's a great tool to have. I mean, I can talk to my friends and family that are overseas. So as, as well as, you know, connect with companies that are overseas as well. Um, it's social media is not just for posting political stuff and all that. It's for honestly saying, Hey, great job. You're doing great. That's, that's what I said earlier. Like with the thankful Thursdays, you're doing great. So at the end of the day, that's all people really, they want to feel, they want to feel liked, man. So. I, and I'll also share a little inside baseball secret here is uh, <laughs> so Chris Arnold and I work on the RSPA marketing and we have a list of companies who are RSPA members and have an active Twitter account. Mm -hmm. And so I have twice a week, I'll go through because I have a stream that I built up. I won't get into all the details that has all those folks. And if there's something that I genuinely like or genuinely feel is worth sharing, I will share it and say, hey, great advice from inside at tag at inside RSPA <laughs> member, so and so and encourage people to read that like that takes minutes to do. It's absolutely free and it's building a connection and keeping a connection that folks wouldn't have had otherwise. So that's kind of my loud way of saying amen to what you're saying, Melanie. Thank you. Super. Well, we hope you enjoyed our discussion today. If you did, please be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. The more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the Point of Sale channel, please check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at www.gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, thanks again to Melanie for sharing her wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSPA Marcom Manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point-of-sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, everybody.